I've got a Bible answer for you about thanking the Lord for the snow. The Bible says, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So you did the right thing. We're grateful for that. Kind of reminds me of a story that I heard one time about a preacher that uh, every time somebody would say something to him, he would quote scripture back to them. He was talking one night, they were in a church building and had the old kerosene lamps and he's standing close to one of them and bugs were flying around in the light. And he was, he was preaching and all at once one of them bug flew right in his mouth. Little boy sitting on the front row started laughing. He said, now preacher, tell me some scripture for that. Preacher said, all right. I was a stranger and you took me in. <laughs> Take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16. I was reminded of this passage of scripture this morning in, in Sunday school and uh, went home and just tried to study on it this afternoon and we'll try to bring you a message out of Acts chapter 16. Would you stand with us out of reverence to the Word of God as we read verses 6 through 11? But keep your Bible open because we're going to uh, go from there on down through this chapter tonight. Now when they had gone throughout Perga and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the Word in Asia, after they were come to Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Messiah came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troas, we came with a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day to Neapolis. Would you pray with us, please? Thank you, Father, for this beautiful day that you've given us. Thank you for your love and your mercy that you've so abundantly bestowed upon us. Father, we come tonight, and we thank you for this scripture that you've put on our heart. And Lord, we just pray that you would help us to speak the word of truth and love tonight. And may you be glorified and magnified. And Father, that... Uh, we pray for lost souls to be saved into your kingdom and for those who have drifted away from you to return to you, Lord. And Father, we just pray that you would encourage us and, and uh, help us, Lord, to be the witnesses that you want us to be in our communities. And Lord, we pray that you'll be glorified and magnified in all that is said and done. Thank you for uh, Bill and, and Talitha, and we're glad that Lord that Bill's doing well, and we just pray your continued blessings upon them as he recovers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, and be seated, please. <clears throat> Point out a couple of things about this passage of Scripture about God's timing. God has given the church the command to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. But it's to be done in God's timing. God opens places and He closes places. 
There's a good example here in this that as they attempted to go into Galatia to preach the Word of God, and it says they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the Word in Asia. Now that's very important, in Asia. It wasn't God's timing. God had other plans for Paul and, and Luke and the others that were traveling with him. They attempted to go to another place, but the Spirit would not permit them to. And in a vision during the middle of the night, and Paul saw a vision of a man from Macedonia saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And Paul recognizes that this is something that God is doing. And verse 10 is so interesting to me. After he had seen the vision, it says immediately, we. Now Luke joins the party here. Luke had not been with him up to this time, but he joins the party here. He's the one writing this. We endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. God gave them clear direction. I remember several years ago, studying this passage of Scripture. God had laid it upon my heart that He wanted me to go to Michigan and pastor a church. I didn't know where, I didn't know when. But we had come to that place in our life to where we surrendered to God's will. Harper Creek Baptist Chapel had asked me to come and, and preach in view of a call, and I did, and they, they asked me to come and be their pastor. And I said, well, I know God wants me in Michigan, but I don't know where. And I'm going to pray about it until God gives me the answer. And I was studying this passage of Scripture to preach at Island Creek Church that following Sunday, and I read that passage of Scripture, and God spoke to my heart out of it and gave me assurance that, that Harper Creek was where He wanted us to be. I called Frances and told her, and then I called the, the chairman of the research committee and told them that uh, we would be there on a certain, certain date to assume the pastor to that little chapel. But all that said, there's a question that arises here. They recognize the fact that the Lord had called them, directed them to preach the gospel unto them. Who are they? Who is the gospel for? Well, somebody's going to say, well, it's for everybody. Well, that's true. But again, God has His timing. God has His ways. And God opens doors and God closes doors. That's why it's so important for we as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to seek to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit of God, especially when you're witnessing to people. 
God will lead you and guide you and direct you to people who need to hear the gospel if you'll just be open to Him. And I'll put myself in there too, if we'll be open to Him. Now let's, let's look at this longer passage of Scripture here. When, when they went to preach the gospel to them, they didn't know exactly who. They just knew that they were going to Macedonia, somewhere in Macedonia. They get up and they start their journey. And they came in verse 12, or from thence to Philippi, which is the chief city of that part of Macedonia, and a colony. And we were in the city abiding certain days. They get there into Macedonia. They stay there for certain days. And on the Sabbath, look at that verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. And we sat down and spake unto the women which resorted thither. They didn't know where to go. They didn't know who to speak to. But the Sabbath day has come. And they go out to a prayer meeting that they hear about. Some women had gathered out on the river bank, having a prayer meeting there on the Sabbath day. Now that tells us quite a bit about this, that there probably wasn't very many Jewish people in this area. For a Jew, the Jews to have a synagogue, there had to be at least 10 men, 10 Jewish men in that city that would help make up that synagogue. But here it's a group of ladies that are out there by the riverside having a prayer meeting. We went out of the city by the riverside where prayer was wont to be made. We sat down and spake unto the women which resorted there. So they go there, not knowing who will be there. They just heard about a, a prayer meeting and they went to join it but they find somebody there. And a certain woman named Lydia, a seller of purple of the city of Thyatira, now notice this, which worshiped God. She was a God worshiper. She heard us, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. Now I want to label this that the religious but lost need the gospel. They need to hear the gospel. This woman was a worshiper of God. She no doubt went through all of the Jewish rituals. She went through all of those things and, and she was pretty well convinced in her life that she was a follower of God. But something happens here when she hears the gospel when she hears about Jesus Christ, when she hears about what He has done for, uh, for, Christ, for the world and how He died on the cross and all those kind of things. And when Paul talks about the gospel, he's talking about the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. He tells us that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And he no doubt was preaching that here to this group of women. And notice what it says. And the Lord opened her heart. That's important. You and I can't save a single solitary soul. But when we witness to people, 
many times the Lord opens their heart. That makes them receptive to the gospel. That makes them receptive to hear what God has said to them. And that's what happened here. I, I remember preaching on this little passage of Scripture in Ukraine, in a little house, mostly women there. And I preached about how God opened Lydia's heart, gave an invitation that day, and several women responded to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. God was working there, and God had sent us there. I remember we, we walked across a, a plowed field that was so muddy. We were muddy to our knees time we got to that little house that sat out there. But they didn't mind. They were muddy too. They'd come across that same plowed field. But you see, God was there. God opened her heart. She was religious, but she was lost. Her heart was closed to God. But God opened that heart, and thank God for that. And she took heed to what she heard. Notice what it says there. Whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. She listened to what Paul had to say. She began to take note of what Paul was saying. She attended to it. She got busy and she, she believed what she was hearing. And she came to trust Jesus as her Lord and Savior. And verse 15 says, when she was baptized in her household. What? Yes, she was baptized. And somebody else. And her household. Not only did she trust Jesus that day, but evidently her family was there. And they also trusted Jesus that day. And she was proving her salvation. How do we prove our salvation? Well, one of the ways we prove it is through our testimony. Another way that we prove our salvation is through following Jesus in water baptism. He set the example for us. We're told in the scripture that we're to follow him and we're to, we're to be baptized. Now, baptism in and of itself doesn't save us, but it shows that we're saved. It's a testimony of what God has done in our life. When a person is baptized in water, they, they are, are picturing a death, a burial, and a resurrection. They're standing there in that water. Then they're laid down underneath that water. That's the burial and the resurrection. They come up out of that water. And it's a beautiful picture. And this is what had happened to Lydia here and her family when she was baptized and her household. Now notice what else she did. She besought us, saying, Lydia wanted to do something good for these people that had told her about the Lord. If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, if you have found me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. Come. While you're in town, come to my house. Stay there. She constrained us. She put a little pressure on them. I really want you to come to my house. She, she had that gift of hospitality evidently. She wanted people that knew Jesus to come and stay at her house. She wanted to fellowship with them, no doubt. That, that reminds me of over in Acts chapter 2 where it talks about those 3,000 that were saved on the day of Pentecost. That they went from house to house breaking bread one with another. 
They were visiting. They were fellowshipping together. That's something that we've lost in the church today. That we don't fellowship with people like we should. We don't go to each other's homes too much. We're so consumed with our own home and our own business that we don't go visit with our neighbors very much. That's the reason we don't know who lives around us. That's the reason we don't know if they're saved or lost. That's the reason we don't know what our community is made up of. But she proved her salvation. Not only should we tell the religious, but the lost, but those bound by Satan need to hear the gospel. Read on with me. Verse 16, it came to pass as we went to prayer, they were still going out to prayer, a certain damsel, young woman, possessed with the spirit of divination met us. Here's a demon-possessed young girl, young woman. She's bound by Satan. She's under his clutches. But notice what she does. She she brought her master's much money by, much gain by soothsaying. She was a fortune teller. People would pay her. She was a slave to these men. She had masters. She was a slave to them, but she was also a slave to Satan. The same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. She was under Satan's control. She was a slave. But she knew the truth, but she was powerless to respond to it. Notice what she said. These men, talking about Paul and Luke and Timothy and all the others that were there, these men are the servants of the Most High God. And notice what else she knew, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now somebody's going to say, how in the world did that happen? Let me tell you something. The devil believes in God more than we do. He meets him face to face, <laughs> day after day. The Bible says the devil believes and trembles. But he's not a believer in God. He's not trusted Jesus as his Lord and Savior. And this girl was like that. She was under the power, the possession of that evil spirit that was in her life. And this did she many days. But Paul, being grieved, turned and said to the spirit. Now notice he didn't say it to her. He said to the spirit. I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. This wasn't Paul's first time of dealing with a, a demonic spirit in a person. People says, well, that don't happen in our day. Huh. It's probably more prevalent today than it's ever been. These kids a few years ago watched the Harry Potter movies and read the Harry Potter books, and now they're practicing Harry Potter stuff, witchcraft. It's still here with us. There's still people that are under demon possession. But notice what happens. 
Paul said, in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of her. Paul didn't do it in his name. It was the power of Jesus Christ that was there to set this lady free. We've still got that power. Jesus is still just as powerful as he's ever been. Jesus is the only one that can set a demon possessed person free. And we have to do it in his name. He came out the same hour. Took a while. But he came out, that demon spirit. Now notice, she knew the truth that she was set free by the Spirit of God. She'd come to really know who Jesus was now. But there's another group of people here that need the gospel. We'll call them the mean and nasty. Now notice what happens here. When the master saw, verse 19, when the master saw that the hope of their gains was gone, they were possessed by greed and materialism. Boy, do we live in a world where that is prevalent today. People will do most anything for money. We think that the best things in life are our possessions. No, those things will wither and pass away. They'll dry up on us or they'll burn down on us. I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold, as the old song says. Greed was their master. They lost their income here from this girl. She couldn't, she couldn't fortune tell anymore. Her master saw that the hope of their gains was gone. They caught Paul and Silas and drew them into the marketplace and to the rulers. They take them downtown to the, the, to the city rulers there, into the marketplace. And that was the, the gathering place where everybody went. Everybody had to go down there and buy some food occasionally. And they'd all gathered there in the marketplace. Verse 20, brought them to the magistrate saying, These men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city and teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe, being Romans. They were angry. They had lost their source of income. They went down there and began to tell a bunch of lies. These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. They're troublemakers. These men, being Jews, do exceedingly trouble our city. I wonder if anybody's saying anything about like that, about people from North Etowah. Are we troubling our city? We ought to be. We ought to be telling people about Jesus enough to where they think we're troubling them. They teach customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. They're just telling people about Jesus. And the multitude, they got the town folks on their side. The multitude rose up together against them and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them, these city officials. 
got so uptight about this, they ripped their clothes and commanded for Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke to be beaten when they had laid many stripes upon them. They cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. Man, these men were thought to be terrible, terrible criminals. Not only did they put them in jail, they put them way back in the jail, in the inner jail back there, and put them in stocks and bonds. I want to make sure they didn't escape. But again, notice God's timing. And at midnight, here's another person that needs the gospel. We'll just call him the working man, the jailer. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. They're not down there moaning and groaning. They're praying and praising at midnight, having a prayer meeting and singing praises to their Lord. And the prisoners heard them Who'd ever thought about you could spread the gospel in the jail? That's one of the most fruitful ministries around is jail ministry. Go over and ask Jack Bryan. He can tell you about that. I know people say, well, jailhouse religion is no good. Well, jailhouse religion is no good. But Jesus' salvation is eternal. There's a difference between religion and salvation. But here, here's this working man. He's working third shift. He's on the midnight shift. He was obeying orders. He'd been told some things. In verse 24 it says, Who having received such a charge thrust them into the inner prison and made their feet fast in the stocks. He was obeying orders. He's just doing what he was told to do. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God. And suddenly, there was a great earthquake. The earth began to shake and tremble so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Quite an earthquake. And immediately, all the doors were opened. They'd locked all those doors. Now they all fly open. And everyone's bands was loosed. Those stocks and bonds that they'd put them in, they just fell off. Man, what kind of an earthquake was that? It was a God quake. That's what it was. God had shook that place. And I want to tell you something. When God shakes a place, it knows it's been shaken. And the keeper of the prison, awaking out of his sleep, 
and seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. This man was a loyal person, loyal even to death. He knew that if the prisoners had escaped, his life would be required. He draws out his sword. He's going to kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners are gone. But notice what happened. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Not a one of them left. That's the reason I know God caused that earthquake. If it had been a man-made thing, every one of them would have jumped out there and left. Paul cried with a loud voice, Do thyself no harm, for we're all here. Then he called for a light. The jailer did. And sprang in. He jumped into their cell. And he came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas. Why didn't he do that in front of the other prisoners? Why didn't he go to their cell? There's something different about these men. He heard them singing praises to God. He heard them praying. He'd probably heard all the rest of them cussing and raising Cain. But these men were different. These men had something that they could tell him. And he asked one of the most important questions you'll ever find in the Bible. Verse 30. And he brought them out. And he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? That's an important question. That's a question that the world is asking Sometimes it comes around in a different way, but their, their heart's cry is, what must I do to be saved? Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. And we live in a time today where the biggest part of the people thinks that if I'm just a good person, I'm assured a place in heaven. Nothing could be farther from the truth. But that's what the world has been fed. Without Jesus, you'll never make it to heaven, friends. Notice, what must I do to be saved? Just a simple answer. They said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. Wow. How simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe what about the Lord Jesus Christ? Believe who He is, that He is God in flesh. That He's God's Son who came down to this world, took on the form of a man, 
and lived here among us for 33 years. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he paid your sin debt. Believe that he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Believe that on the third day he arose from the dead and he's alive forevermore. Believe that in your heart. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth his confession is made unto salvation. You see, all we can do to save ourselves is believe on the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, this man believed what he heard. Notice what happens here. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. And they spake unto him the word of the Lord. Now, I don't know all that they said to him. Maybe Paul quoted to him just what I quoted to you, what he wrote to the Romans there. Spaken to them the word of the Lord and to all that were in his house, his whole household. Notice, he took them the same hour of the night. He took those men out of prison. He took them that same hour of the night. Notice what he did. He washed their stripes. He had at least saw the beating that they took. Perhaps he participated in it, I don't know. But their backs were torn apart from the whipping they had taken. He takes them to his house. He washes those stripes. He begins to try to somehow, some way, make them feel better, make them heal better. Wash them and clean those wounds before they get infected. And was baptized, he and all his, straightway, immediately. Out there in the middle of the night, there's a river running down through there, we know, because they'd been out on the riverbank. No doubt Paul and Silas took him and his household down there to that river and they baptized him there that night. Now notice what happens. And verse 34, and when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them. He fed them. They hadn't had anything to eat in jail. And rejoiced. He was so happy. He was rejoicing. He had met Jesus. His sins had been cleansed. He was a new man in Jesus Christ. He looked around his household. All of his little boys and girls and his wife were saved. And he's got something to rejoice about. And he rejoiced. Notice those last few words there in that verse. Believing in God with all his house. Praise the Lord. A whole family was saved there. 
How do we know he was saved? He proved it. He did a good deed. He washed their stripes. He followed Jesus' example in baptism. He rejoiced. And his family was saved. There's an amazing statistic. This was back probably 20 years ago when I heard this statistic. I hope I can get it right. But it was about the man in the home. They said that if the woman, the wife of the family, the mother, if she gets saved, about 10% of the children get saved, her children. But if the husband gets saved first, 93% of their children follow and trust Jesus. You see, that's God's plan. The man is to be the spiritual leader in the home. Our society has turned it upside down. And God bless you ladies, if you, if you have the, the ominous position of being the spiritual leader in your home, may God bless you and, and use you and don't, don't ever give up. But to the men who are hearing this tonight, if you're not leading your family spiritually, you're leading them down the wrong road. You're leading them to destruction. I heard Brother Claude Roy. Claude was the director of missions in Michigan when I went to serve there. Claude, some of his family's from Sweetwater. And Claude told about a man in his church or a man that his kids came to church there. The wife came and their three children had a little boy that was about 11, 12 years old. And that little boy had been faithful to come to Sunday school and church and all the other activities of the church. But when he turned 12 years old, Brother Claude said that little boy walked up to me one Sunday and says, Preacher, said, I won't be back. And he said, well, why not, son? And he said, well, you know my daddy goes fishing every Sunday. He said, yeah, I know that. The little boy said, well, my daddy told me that when I got to be 12, that I could go fishing with him every Sunday. So preacher, I'll be going fishing every Sunday from now on. You see the influence? That man had told his son that. And that stuck with me down through these years. This man got it right. He got saved. His household got saved. 
And I'm sure they became a part of that church there at Philippi. I'm glad that, that God was in the arrangements there. But who needs the gospel? The religious but lost needs the gospel. Those that are bound by Satan need the gospel. Those that are bound by greed and materialism need the gospel. The everyday ordinary family needs the gospel. And you can go on and on and on and break it down into these categories and those categories. But just to sum it up, everyone needs to hear the gospel. Everyone should have the right to hear about what Jesus has done for them and have the privilege of trusting Him as their Lord and Savior. I'm glad we've still got that here in the United States, and I'm glad that we're still free to preach the Word of God. But that could be taken away from us. It's been taken away from other nations down through the years. But tonight, if God has somehow spoken to your heart, Maybe you need to come and commit your life to being a soul winner for Jesus. Or maybe there's someone here tonight that you're lost. You may be religious, but you got lost. Why don't you come tonight? Trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's stand and bow our heads in a word of prayer. Father, I just want to thank you that you love us so much. That you were willing to send your son into this world to pay our sin debt upon the cross of Calvary. That Lord, if we will repent of our sins and believe in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that He will save us. We thank You that You've made it possible. Thank You, Lord, for the privilege to share the gospel with other people that You have given to we who are Your believers. As a matter of fact, it's a command that You gave us for us to go and tell others about Jesus. Father, may we take that command seriously. May we start acting upon that command. And wherever we go and whoever we see, may we somehow, some way, share the good news with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.